You know, it's really hard to come up here and teach when somebody builds you up. Sometimes I think I only have one place to go, down. You know, I'm blessed to be here. You are, uh, I consider you my grandchildren. Uh, it's, um, it's a unique experience to see a son in the Lord uh, do what you always saw him able to do, but he wouldn't come and do it. And, you know, we spend, Carmen and I spend a lot of time uh, with Joe and Heather. I wish we lived a little closer and we can spend more time with them. But on one of our visits to the house, um, it was during the winter, and, and uh, we, you know, Heather is a lot like Carmen. She, she likes things in order, you know, it has to be order. So she asked me to put the coats away in a particular spot. So I went to put them away and as I went into the closet to put them away, I kicked the box, and Puerto Ricans are curious. <laughs> so I opened the box, and, and I, I found a box full of money. And I went, hmm, this doesn't look right in a pastor's house. We don't have money. Why does this guy have money? <laughs> and, and there were four eggs in the box with all this cash and, and I, it even piqued my curiosity and I felt Satan said he's in sin and the Lord said just ask so I took God up on it and I went up to Heather and I said Heather I have a problem you know Joe is my son I, I feel responsible for him and his, his well-being as a man of God first uh, I don't understand this box with all this money and she you know, the German in her, just she turned all red and was kind of sheepish. And, and I said, uh, Heather, what's wrong? And she says, oh, Louis, I'm so embarrassed. And I said, what's wrong? And he, she says, well, you see, I made a, a promise to God uh, about Joe and, and when he taught, because you know where he comes from. You know, you know what he used to do and how he used to speak and you know, the anger and the craziness, and you went through that with us. And I made a promise to the Lord that, that every time he spoke and he spoke a bad message, I would put an egg in the box. And I quickly thought in my mind, how many eggs were there? And there were only four. And I said, Heather, that's really good. You know, he's been a pastor now a few years, and he's been through some trials, through some tribulations. Uh, four eggs is, is not a bad thing. And I said, but you didn't answer my question as to the cash. And she looked down at the ground kind of sheepishly and, and kind of said to me, well, Lewis, every time I had a dozen, I would sell them. <laughs> it's just things pastors do to one another. He'll get his turn when he comes up to Kearney. Um, if you would please bless me, uh, would you all stand so we can bring God's word? Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Sion, 
for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I ask by, to be merciful upon your servant, Lord, that you would use this donkey one more time to bring your word, that you would remove my flesh and place your spirit, Lord. I ask that you pour your spirit upon all flesh in this room, every man, every woman, every child, Lord God, that you would have your way with us, Lord, that we would walk away blessed, that we would walk away encouraged, that we would walk away broken in our, Father, depravity, and come to you repentant, brokenhearted, and receive you once more into our hearts, Lord. Speak, Lord. Use me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have your seats. My message is entitled, Call, God Calls Us to Unity. And yeah, I asked Joe how long I had, and he says as long as I need it. So please get comfortable if you need a water or something. The next two hours should take me about that time. So just if you need to go up and get, go to the bathroom, please feel free. The structure of the psalm speaks of two points extremely important in Christianity. Psalm 133 speaks of something that we are to do as Christians. This psalm is a song of ascent attributed to David, one of about five or six. The structure of the psalm speaks of two items, two points. The first is the beautiful portrait of the beauty of unity. Unity is something that God requires of us. Because of unity, we can do incredible and marvelous things as a body of Christ. The second point is the blessing of unity. When we are together as a body in unity, God blesses us. You know, when I think of Joe and he was speaking about I had a good marriage, what he saw was the unity between Jesus, Carmen, and myself. When, when he said he was a, I was a good father, he saw the unity of me with Christ. There's always that unity. And that's what God seeks for us, to be united in him, with him. Psalm 133 is one of four songs of ascent attributed to King David. The psalm was sung by those visiting Jerusalem during their annual feast. The psalm emphasizes on the unity of the believer, something that God desires for us. This poem anticipates Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. In this prayer, Jesus thanks the Father for the unity that there is between him and the Father, Jesus and the followers, and between Jesus the followers and God the Father. I think that in order to, to have it be vital to the body of Christ, as a church, we should take a closer look at the prayer in John 17 and what Jesus stated in his prayer. Please move to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, verse 17. 
And I am going to try to make sense of this prayer for application today, not only for you as individuals, as husbands, as wives, as congregants to this church, but as a body. As a body, we are called by God to be united. And that sometimes is not an easy thing. It is a very difficult thing. The hardest thing for me to do as a man of God is to try to be united. To be united to my brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, my wife, my children. Because my children that are now all adults have become my sisters and brothers in Christ. Though they still are my children. And there's a unity that God wants me to have with them. Let's look at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. The hour has come. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to the cross as his hour. The time for him to die had arrived. It was no longer the hour to come. The hour had arrived. Glorify your son, he says. Jesus was asking that his mission, because Jesus had a mission to the world would be made known through the cross. Many of us have missions. If you're a Christian, you are called. And if you are called, you have a mission. Some of us have very different missions. My mission is to preach God's word. My real calling is to the men. I am a discipler. That is my gift. That is what I do. I raise men to be pastors, to be deacons and elders. That's what I do. I do it well. I do it with no effort. Your pastor is, is one of those that's graduated out of that course. There's another one here in your congregation that comes from my loins, my dear brother and friend Paul Cardillo. And there are others. I don't say this to boast. I just say it as evidence of a gift that I have. I take it very seriously. I do it with great intensity. The reason for this request, this request of Jesus, was threefold. The first is the cross, Jesus, in the cross, Jesus reveals the Father to the world, that is, his love, his justice, his character, his personality. The second is that through Jesus' death on the cross, God would provide forgiveness of sin and give eternal life to all those who believe in his Son. And the third, I believe the most important of them all, is that Jesus prays for the unity that takes place through the sanctification of believers. See, there, there is something that happens before there is unity. And that is sanctification. So we're going to look at sanctification. We're going to look at unity. And we're going to look at some of the things that are involved with those things happening in the life of a believer. In verse 3 it says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
It is important that you know God through his son Jesus. It is very important. It is also very important that Jesus knows you as well. Let me explain something that I believe Christians don't get by large. In Matthew 23, the king sets aside the sheep and the goats. And to the goats he said this, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. That has always run chills down and up my spine. I talk about it now, my hair and my arms stand up. Because it is a concept that we in Christianity really don't comprehend. And we need to. You know, we're so used to in Christendom to doing certain things that we don't understand. See, the implication here is that both believers and both believed that they were saved because they knew God. The problem was that, and I believe still is, that God is not known and God doesn't know the goats, but did know the sheep. For those of you who didn't understand, God wants a relationship. In a relationship, it takes two people. They both must know one another. They both must come to a realization that it is an effort between the two. There is a responsibility of the two to come together. We as Christians do a horrible job. You know why I know that? Because most of the counseling that I do are two Christians in my office at battle with one another. And I sometimes scratch my head and say, didn't you guys make an oath to love one another? And they say, yes. Didn't you guys uh, agree that, that you would do this because there was something unique in your relationship? Yes. What happened? See, what happens is that one doesn't really know the other. There's nothing like marriage. Nothing like marriage to get two people to know one another. Hmm? You know, we fight about the silly things in my house, you know, the toothpaste and, 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 uh, and the refrigerator door open and, and holding the refrigerator door open and saying, there's nothing here to eat, you know? It's, it's, it's those things that, that sometimes drives my wife through the roof. And it's always the, the, the little things that... that, that annoy me about my wife. You know, we have a deal. I make the bed, you iron clothes. It's not that I can't iron. Is that that was the deal I make. And if I keep my end of the deal every morning and make the bed, then if I go into my closet and want to wear a shirt, it should be there. All I ask is for one. But yet it brings discord. So it's the silly thing. See, this is the problem. We get that way with God. And we have to be very careful because he will separate the sheep from the goats. See, the problem there that I believe that's done from the pulpit is that verse is not really explained in detail. Now, I know Joe, and if he's taught it, he's taught it well. I've always teach my sons in the Lord, don't mess with the word of God. Get it right the first time. You may not get a second. So... 
if we look at Matthew 23, and you can be Bereans and go home, I'm, I'm sure you were well taught in this church, and you know the word Berean and, and what he tells you to do. Don't, don't take that knucklehead's word for it. Go home. Read what he teaches. Make sure that the guy is on point. Because I'll tell you what I tell my church. The day I am off, it's time for you to leave the church. Don't lift me up so high that what I say is truth. No, there's only one truth. It's in this book. It's called the Bible. You know what it stands for? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instruction before leaving earth. You have an instruction manual. You need to read it before you leave, leave this life. In Matthew, it says this, that both groups, the sheep and the goats, are believers. They believe in God. They both say they believe in God. Look at the text. It's real clear. But yet to one, God says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I knew you not. Be careful, Christian, that you don't fall into that. Be careful of your relationship with the Lord. I am sick and tired of evangelists coming and giving a heart-moving message and having people stick their hands up in the air, people coming up to the front receiving Jesus, and then they believe they're saved and that's it. Wrong. Wrong. Look at the parable of the seeds and the sower. You'll see that you're wrong. There's a responsibility, Christian. There's a responsibility that once you take that first step, which is raising the hand, saying you believe, you need to continue to walk forward. It takes it. It's step by step, day by day, misery by misery, from glory to glory, he says. Understand, please pay close attention, because if you're not paying close attention, you will be held accountable for what I teach here today. For we will all stand before Almighty God, each and every one of us. There's a national statistic that I have up on my refrigerator, and people ask me when they come to my house, what does that mean? And it says, one out of one die. One out of one, that means we all get that chance to sit in that little box. We all get to deal with our maker one day. I'm, I just love you. This is the way I've raised my sons with the truth. In verse 4 it says, please let's go back to the text in John. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the earth was. Now, this is a beautiful piece of text because it answers the question, is, was Jesus there at the time of creation? The answer is yes, because here he says it. Here Jesus is praying to the Father, saying, I was there. Not only was he there, he was there before the world was. This is why in Genesis we read it, right? We, we know in Genesis that Jesus was there because when Adam and Eve fell and they hid themselves from God like you can hide, right? They said they heard him walking 
in the garden, in the cool of the afternoon. See, if God is spirit, what was he doing walking in Genesis? That's a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. See, Jesus made known the Father by completing the work God gave him to do. Glorify me. Jesus looked to the Father to restore him to the glory he had in heaven before he left heaven. This is another indication of Christ's pre-existence and his deity. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and we see it in Genesis chapter 3. He continues in his prayer in verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to men whom you had given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me from you, for I have given to them the word which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray them. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus, having taught and encouraged his disciples as much as he could on the eve of his departure, on the eve of his despair, Jesus now does the great thing. He really does a great thing here commits them to the Father in prayer. In reality, that's what Joey and I do in our congregations every Sunday. We commit you in prayer to God because we can only teach. Our responsibility really ends as teachers. You have to be responsible to walk. See, when Joey and I and all the other pastors go to heaven, if we've done our job of teaching the Word of God, God says, amen, come on in. You did your job. You fulfilled your mission. When you get there, he's going to say, did you not hear that bald guy that I sent from Carney? Did you not comprehend what he was saying? Because you really didn't do. It's funny. Jesus' brother, James, the one that didn't believe in him, because in the scriptures it says that his brothers did not believe He writes this book called the right book of James. You guys read, read that? I, mean, I don't know if you guys have read that or not. But it's funny. He says it is not enough to be hearers of the word. See, you can't hear, sit here and hear Joey pontificate. You can't stand here and hear him bring the word to you. And I know he's passionate. He's like his dad. And not do it. Because then you fall under the responsibility act of God. You're responsible, Christian. Husbands, read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's very important for us as husbands to read that verse. It's funny, in that same 
chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he speaks to the wise, because you guys need those 50,000 words a day, right? Because you, you, you ever seen a, a little two-year-old girl? They can sit there by themselves, and they're just speaking to the air. And you see the boys, what did they do? They got the cars. See, so he gives us one verse, because we are men of few words, right? With few words suffice. But the women, he gives instruction, real firm, direct instruction. Why am I, what am I saying to you? That we have a responsibility to understand that God, the Son, prayed for us. He did not pray for the world. He prayed for us. He gave us instruction. And he was encouraging them. I have manifested your name from, to the men. Jesus did not simply teach about the name, the character of God. He manifested. He displayed his character. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you about my son and the Lord, but I'm going to do it. Joey better display God's character. Well, he's in trouble with me. I better hear that he's always the man of God that he needs to be, especially at home. We call Heather with much love. Please don't call her this, but we do because she's our daughter. We call her the blonde one, the blonde German. And there are times that the blonde German has called our house to complain to mom. Mom tells dad, and dad calls Joey. And it's sometimes not pleasant. But that's my job. Joey has learned through the time that he needs to reflect Jesus in everything he does. Listen to me, Christian. Jesus was not a wuss. Jesus was a man, a real man. And Jesus told it the way it was, straight and simple. If you think being called a whitewashed tomb, if you think being called a brood of vipers is, eh, you're, you're not really in tune with that culture. I can't even try to, in a church being recorded, use the words that today's vernacular would cover what he said to them. Wasn't nice. Wasn't cool. If my son is reflecting Jesus in your lives, it's for one thing and one thing only, to display, to give you an idea of what it is for you to walk like a man, a woman of God. You don't have to like him. He's not here to be your friend. He's here to be your teacher, your pastor, your mentor. That's his job. Don't get upset at him if he doesn't go out bowling with you or hanging out with you. That's not what he's here for. I tell my men, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to raise you in Christ Jesus so you can be responsible. And this is what Jesus is doing through this prayer. He says, I do not pray for the world. Indicates that Jesus was praying only for the present and the future believers. In verse 10, he says, and all mine are yours and yours are mine. That reminds me of something my wife tells me. My wife always tells me, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. It's not, no, that's not what he's saying here. 
And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I came to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. See, here's that unity thing. It's throughout this. This verse reveals Jesus' keen sensitivity to the plight of his disciples brought on by his departure. He was leaving. He was no longer going to be here to protect them. So he's commending them to the only one that could protect them, the Father. God is very interested in his creation. Don't think that he's not. But there is a difference between his creation and his children. He loves his children. He's interested in the welfare of the creation. For he desires that none should perish. But the love of Christ towards his children is very, very different. He loves his children and those given to the Father by Jesus will be protected. He was going to the Father, but they would be left behind. Jesus asked the Father to keep his disciples through his name. That is, to keep them true to the revelation of God that Jesus has given them while he was with them. See, the disciples would have a new union with the Father, the Son, through the future indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ through the unity of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a very unique thing. It is beautiful to see a couple in unity, loving one another, living for one another, making the other more important than the other. It is absolutely beautiful to see. And that's what made Joey fall in love with me, that unity, that unity that I had. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect, If you want to know who I am, just speak to my wife. She'll tell you. She'll be honest. Too honest. But that doesn't negate my relationship with her. My imperfection does not negate my relationship with her and the Father and the Son through the working of the Holy Spirit in me. You're a sinner. We just started a new Bible study for couples My wife and I teach the couples. We do it together every other Friday. We just started a new book. It's called When Two Sinners Say I Do. (laughs) I love the title. You know what, guys? I didn't read the book. It was recommended. I didn't read it. I purposely have not read the book. We just did the first chapter, and I did it off of a brother that I love very much. He says, Louis, you've got to do this book with your couples. This is off the chain, off the hook. This is the Mac Daddy of books for couples. So I bought a bunch of them. I put up a, a list, and they signed up. And we had our first Friday, and it was off the scale. Just the title attracted them to come. Guys, understand, if I can teach you anything today, you're a rotten, stinking sinner. <laughs> stinking rotten is the big word. And you're saved by his grace. Despite you, he loves you. Despite you, he saved you. Understand that, please. 
It takes that to understand the deep and honest relationship you need to have with Jesus Christ. Because we will all stand before him one day. You don't want to be separated as a goat. You don't want that. A lot of people believe that, that Matthew 23 is, is, is unbelievers and believers. You're wrong. They're both believers. The problem is that there's a set of believers that Jesus didn't know. There's a lot of people that believe in Jesus. They're not going to heaven. Because God is seeking those that want a relationship with him. And a relationship is two-sided. And husband, if you're not getting along with your wife, there's something wrong with the relationship from your side. Wife, if you're not getting along with your husband... There's something wrong with your side of the relationship because the one that dies first raises up the marriage to life. Verse 12, it says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, those whom you gave me I kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. None of them is lost means Jesus protected the disciples during his earthly ministry. Judas, the son of perdition, is distinct, pushed aside from the rest of the apostles. He was never really one of those given to Christ. He had never really been a believer, John 6, 64. And he had never been cleansed, John 13, 11. Verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prayed aloud. He didn't pray in silence. He prayed aloud so that his word would comfort the apostles when they remembered that Jesus gave them into the Father's keeping. Jesus has given you into God's, the Father, and the Holy Spirit's keeping. God is not away from you. Even when you feel his presence not around you, he still has you here. The problem is your rebellion moves you away from that hand. And we all rebel. We all are knuckleheads. Verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This verse has profound implications, Christian, for the disciples, for us. We are his disciples, are we not? Am I wrong there? We're not his apostles, but we're his disciples. We're his followers. Our desire should not be for, to isolate ourselves. And this is what we do. We isolate ourselves. And that creates problems. For, 
we isolate ourselves from what? From the world. But to use Christ's word and the Holy Spirit's power to serve him while our lives last is to get involved with them in the world. Not to be like them. Not to go out drinking and partying. That, that's not it. But we need to be involved. We need to be a mirror. We need to show them Christ in us. Because that's the way. See, your life, speaking of Christ, should not be with your words. It should be with your actions. Because you will attract many more. That's what attracted Joey to me. I remember us working broken loaves. And, and after we, we would give, I don't know if Joey remembers those days, sitting in your little black little car there, all scrunched up. And we would be, say, in Perth Amboy delivering food to these people. And, and afterwards, we sit in the car, and he would ask me questions. And I would answer them honestly. And I would share those things that I struggled with as a father and as a husband. And that's what attracted Joey to me. That being real, not holding back, not trying to be something I wasn't. And then he saw me with my wife, and then he saw me with my kids, and, and it attracted him even more. St. Francis Assisi says, Preach the gospel at all times, and whenever necessary, use words. He also said, It is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. We need to come to a place of understanding. Yet as this, at the same time, we should not become like the world, surrendering to evil influences of the world. We, we need not to get tainted, but yet be mixed in. The term evil one can be translated as a common noun, evil, or it, it, it references the person of Satan. You should not allow Satan to control you. For he is a, a, a hungry lion looking for whom he can devour. So he did not want or did he not ask the father to remove them. His request was for protection from the evil one. Why not remove us? Because he uses us as tools. You know, a lot of us say, you know what, if God is merciful, why didn't he answer Jesus' prayer and just remove us? But Jesus didn't pray for us to be removed. Jesus prayed for us to be protected. Why? Because you are the imperfect tool that God wants to use to save other imperfect tools. He doesn't need you. He just desires to use you. Because it's a bigger miracle when he uses us, right? Especially a guy like me. You know, when people get saved and I teach, I always wonder what was it. And, and my wife laughs and I says, well, it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't you, banana head. Because <laughs> you can never bring anybody to Christ. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by truth. Sanctify means to be set apart for God's special pleasure and use. You're a tool. God opens up his craftsman set and there we all sit. And he says, well, I'll, I'll use John 
I'll use Mark. You know, I'll use Tom. I'll use Steve. I'll use Joey. No, I'll put him back. According to the first view, Jesus was praying not only that the disciples should be kept from evil, but that they should advance in holiness. And I think that this is the problem, Christian. You, you want to be protected from evil, but you don't want to advance in holiness. You, you want the protection. You want the shield. You want the little dome over you, and you want to walk around. You know, you guys want it's raining out, right? And you want to walk in between the raindrops. No, 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 no. God says no, no, not at all, not at all. I want you to deal with it. I want you to deal with it. Understand the pain. Understand frustration. Understand treachery, disappointment, trials, tribulation. Understand those things because I used them as a sharpening device to make you sharp a tool to be used by me a scalpel to remove sin from others it hurts to be a Christian it is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life but man do I love the results of that pain sometimes it was painful to raise my son Joe at times. But man, do I love what happens. See, however, in verse 18, sanctification means to, to refer to the disciples' mission. We all have a mission indicating that sanctify may also mean that Jesus was setting apart his disciple for their mission. See, again, a tool. The dynamics behind sanctification is true. Your word is truth. It is a strong statement by Jesus. His confidence in the authenticity of the scriptures. We can't, Joey said, we can't pick the stuff that we like from the Bible only. We need to read it all. We need to digest it all. I taught my congregation the word masticate it is what a cow does you see these big 1200 pound cows they only eat grass and they get so big they got four stomachs right and they chew the first cut and then they bring the second cut back up i know it's gross ladies just bear with me but they bring that second stomach up and they refine it they chew it again they send that one to the third, and the third comes up, and they eat that, and it goes to the fourth, and eventually they pass it. You're supposed to masticate the Word of God. You're supposed to dwell on it with understanding. But we don't want to do that. Because i got to do this. i got to go shopping. i got to get my nails done. Today I get my pedicure. Today I'm going to the beauty. Today I have to pick up the kids. You know what? You need to make time for God. Or else God won't make time for you. Make time for the one who made time. Or you will be out of time. Please understand that. The thought of service here is sandwiched by sanctification we are to set apart we are to be set apart for his service 
not for mutual adoration or admiration of one another. We need to stop whining and start serving. That's what you need. Fourteen years ago, Carmen and I were involved with a family whose domestic squabbles was common occurrence. We today in Christendom call that uh, a moment of intense fellowship. This family had many moments of intense fellowship. You have, you may know them, they attend this congregation, so I won't give you the names, but one day after a few hours of counseling at my home, about five hours, I directed Joey, oops, I directed this man to stop being a baby and grow up and get his bride some flowers and apologize for being the south side end of a northbound horse. Not realizing that it was midnight already, he says to me, where am I going to go get flowers? I said, they have them in New York City. They have those 24-hour flower places. But I'm in East Brunswick. And I said, I don't care. I'm not going to get home till 3 in the morning. I don't care. You go and bring that woman flowers. Because she needs to know that you love her. And when she finds out you went all that way to do it, it's going to be real to her. My wife and I loved them both and saw great potential in them both. Maybe even becoming a pastor and a pastor's wife. Fourteen years ago we saw that. We saw that potential. We just needed to get them to see the pettiness of their disagreements and come to unity in Christ. This church is birthed very similar to mine. Very, very similar to mine. We have a Baptist church. The building is 125 years old. Six years ago, I was brought there because they were going to close the doors because it only had 11 people. And the Lord put it in my heart to take it over. And, and I fought. I fought going to Carney. I remember my wife said not to speak to her, but she's not here, and hopefully she won't go on the Internet and hear the message. But, you know, she, she was told by me that, that I gave her a tour of the parsonage because we live in the parsonage. And, and I gave her a tour, and I said, Honey, can you? I was excited, you know. I finally had given in. I didn't want to move to that neck of the woods because I grew up in the Bronx and in Jersey City. All my drug people knew me, you know. They, those guys don't forget. And I didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to live my past again. And I, I, with excitement of a new fellowship, excitement of new ministry, I said to my wife, hey, can you see yourself living here? And she said, hell will freeze first. <laughs> hell put in an order for Parker's six months after that. It's cold in hell right now. We're about to celebrate our sixth anniversary. We have two services. About to go into our third because we just can't fit the people. God decided to use a knucklehead. An, off, 
and his offspring here. Go figure, you know. Hey, the egg plant, the egg, what is it called? The egg corn don't fall too far from the tree. I was going to say the eggplant, but... He is Italian. We as a body in Christ need to do the same and come to the knowledge of rising up from our petty differences and come together and honor God with our service. We have to come to that. I know Joey's getting nervous because we're almost out of time. But I I just want to leave you with this. You guys can read the rest, and if you need my notes, I'll make them available to you. In the psalm, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You have two congregations that have come together here. Major differences in ways of seeing things. You have the old, you have the young, you have the differences. God doesn't call you to those differences. God calls you to unity. If there's anything I can tell you about my fellowship, is there is a unity. We have Reformed theologians, Calvinists, mixed in with Calvary Chapelites, I got called by one of the priests in the neighborhood telling him, you're stealing my sheep. And I said, who are you? (laughs) So I can stop it. So we have Roman Catholics, we have Baptists, we we have this, this incredible eclectic church, black, white, Russian, Puerto Rican, Hispanic, of all types, all under one roof in this little church, with no parking. We have no parking. We, we envy you guys. They just find it. Sometimes it snows in Carney and, and they don't shovel. And, these, and I say, okay, we're going to have church day. And Carmen says, you're crazy. And we get our best attendance on a snow day. And I say, how do you people get here? And they'll say, oh, yeah, we found a parking here. And I go like, <laughs> they want to come. They want to come and worship the Lord, their creator, their sustainer, in unity. You guys have been blessed. Blessed. Not because of Joey, because God is using Joey. Not because he's smart. Not because he's a theologian. Because he's his tool and he's willing to be used. He's just trying to display himself to you so that God can use you. You have an incredible community here that you can touch for Christ if you just come united. It starts at home, husbands, wives. It starts there. Church starts in your house. And it is reflected here in this place. I implore you, I beseech you by the name of Jesus. Seek unity. Seek the love of Christ in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. And let God do a work here. You're his tools. 
You're his handiwork. He doesn't need you, but boy, does he want to use you. Be an effective tool for Christ. Love one another. Because that's what we're called to. And if you're here today and and don't know what that means and want to know that, then I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to come before God and say, yeah, I'm not well, I'm not right, I'm broken. I don't know how to do this, but I want to dedicate my life to you, Lord. I believe what that man up there says. I believe it with my heart and and with my mind and with my spirit. My spirit is stirred up by what he said. I want to give you an opportunity to make a commitment before God. See, that is the responsibility. Will you do it? Will you stand up? If you want me to pray for you, because I came here for that, to pray as Jesus prayed. And if you're here today and want that, God wants to give it to you. And I want to pray for you. Do you want it? Stand up. Right where you are. Anyone. There's one. There's two. There's three. Anyone else? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you're going to tell Jesus, I'm for you. I'm willing. For God did not raise us up with a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of courage, one of strength. Anyone else? I got four women, one man. Hey, he's bald. You're good looking like me. Two men, three men. Four men. Come on, guys. Stand up. Amen. Another one. Anyone else?